think it's fair to say that we live in a sex-saturated society. And the mantra is, if it feels good and you're not hurting anyone, go for it. We live in a culture where sexual permissiveness is the name of the game and where concepts like purity and abstinence and faithfulness are often viewed as weird, prudish and even unhealthy. And it seems that the chorus of loud voices telling us this are rapidly transforming our culture. Now, back in 2004, when the children's television program Play School showed a little girl with two mums, there was widespread outrage. But just 13 years later, our nation voted in favour of same-sex marriage. And when I was growing up, uh, pornography was considered something only dirty old men looked at in magazines. Now it's just a click away in every home and considered by many as normal. Uh, once upon a time, an unmarried couple living together was shocking. Now it's seen as the smart thing to do to make sure that you're compatible. And so it begs the question, how ought we Christians respond to our sex-saturated society? You know, should we simply get with the times and go with the flow? Or should we hide ourselves away from the world instead? What do you think? Well, even though the sexually permissive voices around us seem to be getting louder, the fact is those voices have actually been around for a very, very long time, as we'll see in today's passage from Ephesians chapter 5. It's a passage that offers us great wisdom, how we Christians ought to live in a sex-saturated society. So if you don't already have a Bible open at Ephesians chapter 5, can I encourage you to grab one now and turn with me there? Of course, the, the book of Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians living in the city of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. And so far in his letter, Paul has reminded these Christians of what God has done for them in Christ, that he's saved them. Not because they deserve it, but out of his amazing grace and love. He's reminded them that God has now given them a new identity. The old sin-led nature is gone and the new spirit-led spirit nature has come. And now they need to live that out, loving and serving others just as Jesus did. Here, let, let's backtrack just a little. Uh, read with me uh, the final verses from last week's passage from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you see, now these Christians' lives are to be marked by sacrificial love for others, not love for self. Which is why Paul now goes on to denounce sexual sin. Here, read with me, verse 3, verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. See, according to Paul, these things are the opposite of sacrificial love, and so they're totally inappropriate for God's people. He says that there should be no sexual immorality among them. 
Now, that, that's a phrase in the Bible that refers to, well, to all sex outside of heterosexual marriage, including things like premarital sex, uh, extramarital affairs, uh, homosexual acts, and sex with prostitutes. He says that there should be no impurity among them, uh, which refers to every other kind of sexual sin, bestiality and the like. And he says that there should be no greed among them either, uh, which perhaps seems like a little, a bit of an odd one to have on a list like this, but, but in context, it seems to be referring to the sin of lust. You know, that is greedily desiring to use someone else's body for your own selfish gratification. Now, Paul's saying that all these self-indulgent behaviours are totally inappropriate for Christians because they're the exact opposite of sacrificial love. And it's true, isn't it? Now, sexual sin is always selfish. It, it never has the other's best interests at heart. I mean, take pornography, for example. In his book, Finally Free, Heath Lambert writes... I have no statistics on how long the average career is for actresses in pornography, but I'll bet it's pretty short. I'm confident there are no porn actresses who are 60 years old, probably not even 40. Why not? Because selfish men who consume porn like their women young. For such men, there's no interest in wrinkles, liver spots or white hair. There's no attraction in crow's feet varicose veins and sagging skin. In other words, there's no interest in real women. Do you get the point? Pornography and every other kind of sexual sin is ultimately selfish. They're the opposite to walking in love. And so Paul says there mustn't be even a hint of these behaviours amongst God's people. But Paul goes on even further, saying that these Christians should avoid, avoid sinful speech too, whether it be obscene language, you know, having a potty mouth, or foolish talk, uh, speaking flippantly about sexual immorality, or coarse joking, you know, the sort of, things, the sort of thing most comedians these days make their, their living on. This kind of sinful speech is also inappropriate for God's people. After all, sin isn't a joke. Now, it wrecks people's lives and it is an affront to God. Instead, a Christian's speech should be full of thanksgiving. Here, read with me verse 4. Verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, that's interesting, don't you agree? I mean, why do you think Paul lists thanksgiving as the antidote to impure speech? Well, I guess it's because it, it, it's very difficult to sincerely praise God for his goodness and generosity in our lives and, at the same time, laugh about the sin that he loathes the sin Jesus gave his life to free us from. And so Paul tells these Christians that when it comes to matters of sexual purity, both their behaviour and their speech matter. In fact, they matter so much, Paul now gives these Ephesian Christians 
a very solemn warning. He tells them to be in no doubt that the people who sin in these ways will be excluded from God's kingdom and experience his wrath. In other words, these Christians must not be taken in by the voices of the world around them. They, they, they need to see through the lies of, if it feels good, do it. You've got nothing to lose. They need to realise that these are just empty words. The fact is there will be dire consequences for those who do these things. Ultimately, they will miss out on heaven and face God's eternal judgment. And so, of course, these Christians must not follow the crowd into sin. Here, read with me from verse 5. Verse 5. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Sobering words, I'm sure you'd agree. But is Paul saying here that sexual purity is a, a condition of salvation? Well, no. No, no. He, he told us quite clearly back in chapter 2 that salvation is a gift from God and not the result of good works, including sexual purity. But in that same chapter, he also said that people saved by grace with God's spirit now in them will seek to please God. And that includes in the area of sexual purity. Not that these Christians won't ever struggle with temptation, not that they will get it right all the time, but their spirit-filled lives will be marked by a striving for obedience and sincere grief and repentance when they fail. So no, sexual purity isn't a condition of salvation, but that doesn't take away from the fact that there is a genuine warning here. Because if someone claims to follow Jesus, but lives just as an unbeliever, well, they're living a lie. You know, it's a bit like a self-proclaimed vegan coming home each night to a dinner of steak and sausages and thinking nothing of it. Now, obviously, it doesn't matter how earnestly that person claims to be a vegan, the fact is they're not. They're self-deceived. And Paul's warning here is very real. He says to the people in the Ephesian church, don't be deceived. If you participate in sexual immorality and stubbornly refuse to repent, then you're fooling yourself. You're not saved at all. The bottom line is these Christians must not be led astray by the sexual permissiveness of their culture. Instead, they need to take sin seriously, knowing that those who continue to sin sexually will face God's judgment. Besides, on the day of their conversion, a, a mighty change took place in these Christians. The fact is they are not the same people they used to be. No, their very nature has changed. And Paul uses a powerful metaphor to help them understand this. He says that they were once darkness. No, not that they were just in darkness, but that they were darkness. 
ignorant, immoral, and separated from God, darkness. But at the moment of their conversion, their very being underwent a powerful change. Now they are light in the Lord because God has come to them, revealing his truth to them and making them his holy people. Paul's point is that their behaviour now needs to conform to their new identity. Now they're to walk as children of light. Now their lives should be marked by goodness and righteousness and truth as they seek, as they seek to, to live in ways that please Jesus. And as children of light, they need to leave the ways of darkness behind. Now, over the, over the centuries, some Christians have, have responded to this command by, well, literally separating themselves off from society, uh, such as in a monastery or uh, the Amish community. But Paul doesn't tell these Christians to run away from the darkness. Uh, on the contrary, he tells them to shine the light of Christ into the world to expose the deeds of darkness for what they are. What does that look like? Well, I don't think he primarily has in mind uh, denouncing sexual sin verbally, though there may be, that may be necessary at times. I think he has in mind lighting up the darkness with their, their godly words and behaviour as they live out and speak the gospel, as they walk in love. And what will happen when they do? Well, amazingly, some of those living in the darkness will be attracted to the light and find eternal life in Christ. And so, Paul finishes this section by, by quoting an early Christian hymn, which speaks of the miracle that happens when Christ's light shines on a dark, lifeless heart. Here, read with me uh, the final verses for today from verse 8. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but Everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, and uh, here's the hymn, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. There you go, the uh, very first version of shine, Jesus, shine. And Paul's point well, as these Christians refuse to participate in sexual immorality, but instead choose to live good and upright lives, seeking to please the Lord and overflowing with thankfulness, they will attract others to what they have. It kind of reminds me of the holiday my family had back in June. Uh, we went to the country and drove along some pretty dirty, dusty, unsealed roads and, and my car got pretty filthy. But I didn't care, why not? Because everyone else's car was filthy too. But then our holiday ended and we 
came back to North Shore Chatswood and we were suddenly surrounded by, well, immaculately clean cars. Those clean cars exposed the filthiness of our car and made us want to go straight to a car wash. Well, in the same way, Paul's saying that as these Christians live clean lives, they will naturally expose the sin of unbelievers' lives. And as God works in those people's hearts, they will also want to have their sins washed at the cross. Jesus said something similar in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, didn't he? He said, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, light attracts people. And with that, we come to the end of today's passage. So what have we seen? Well, Paul has warned the Christians in Ephesus not to be taken in by the sexual permissiveness of their society. There should be no hint of sexual immoral behaviour or speech in their lives. Instead, they need to live out who they are as children of light, living such good lives among the unbelievers that some will be drawn to Jesus and find eternal life in him. If I could sum up the passage in just 10 words, that'd be, don't be overcome by darkness, but overcome darkness with light. And it's that message that we Christians have to hear today. Don't be overcome by darkness, but overcome darkness with light. First of all, don't be overcome by darkness. Now, how could that happen to us, do you think? Well, it happens when we believe the world's lies about sex and morality. And the problem is, when we're surrounded by darkness, after a while, we can get used to it. There can be a, a slow, subtle brainwashing process that gradually desensitizes us to immorality. Little by little, sin becomes less sinful to us. The light within us is dimmed until eventually snuffed out altogether. You know, when the television shows we watch have, have people hopping from one bed to another, when the, the magazines we read revel in the sordid details of celebrities' sex lives, when almost every Netflix-produced show has a homosexual character in a leading role, when our music lyrics are sexually explicit and our music videos are ver on the verge of pornographic, when most jokes we hear are filled with sexual innuendo, when social media mocks Christian morality as old-fashioned and, and even dangerous, when we're constantly told that we must celebrate sexual diversity or we're a bigot, when all our friends are doing it, then, if we're not careful, we can allow the darkness to overcome us. And the kind of sin that once shocked us can start to amuse us. We can start to take pride in our broad-minded tolerance. And before long, we're back in the dark. 
last year at the Pew Research Center in the US, I did a study among those calling themselves evangelical Protestants. Astoundingly, they found that a third of them believed that casual sex between consenting adults is always or sometimes acceptable. Now, if that isn't, a clear, if that isn't clear evidence of society's power to influence us Christians, I don't know what is. But friends, we cannot afford to let it. We must not be deceived by empty words. God's truth never changes. Those who live sexually immoral lives will not inherit God's kingdom, but will face his wrath. No, our sexual purity will never save us. And forgiveness is always available, no matter what we've done. And, and let's face it, we've all done shameful things at one time or another. But God is saying that those who give themselves over to sexual immorality and who stubbornly refuse to repent will end up in hell. Because their ongoing behaviour reveals that they were never saved in the first place. And so, friends, as God's saved people, let's have nothing to do with the sexual immorality of our world not even a hint. And instead, let's strive to live lives of sexual purity. That means abstinence in singleness, faithfulness in marriage, avoiding porn like the plague, along with the kind of movies and, and songs and books and magazines that, that arouse ungodly desires in us. Instead, Let's fix our hearts and minds on Jesus, letting him satisfy our souls like no sin can, knowing that a thankful heart will be the antidote to whatever temptation we face. And if you're a parent, then let me encourage you to help your kids navigate this sexualized world too. In part, that'll mean being aware of what your kids are being exposed to, especially online and, and, and regulating it accordingly. But, you know, it would be pretty naive of us to, to believe that we can always prevent our kids from seeing things they shouldn't, as, as hard as we might try. In fact, did you know that it's estimated that 90% of children aged 8 to 16 will have seen online pornography? And without someone telling them otherwise... They can grow up thinking that what they see is normal and acceptable. That's why we parents need to counter Satan's lies with the truth of God's word. And in the uh, talk outline, uh, I've listed a, a few age-appropriate books that you might like to use with your kids, if you're a, a parent, uh, to show them the, the beauty of God's wisdom for sex and to warn them of the wrong ideas they'll hear. So we must not be overcome by the darkness. Instead, our call is to overcome the darkness with light. As Paul puts it, we're, we're to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, 
but rather expose them as we live in the light. Of course, Jesus in us is the light and we light up the surrounding darkness when we, we simply let him shine through in our godly words and actions. It means we should never underestimate the power of a life marked by goodness and righteousness and truth, overflowing with love. A life that, that treasures sex the way God intended it. Because, friend, as you stand apart from the darkness, you show that your identity is not defined by your sexual desires. You show that sex, though a good gift from God, is not the aim of life. You show that we can be whole and complete human beings without giving in to every urge we feel. You show that sex is designed by our good and generous maker as a way to serve one's spouse and not merely oneself. You show that you've found something bigger and better and more fulfilling than what any porn site could possibly ever offer. And that is a beautiful, powerful testimony. One that floods the darkness with light. Of course, not everyone will like having their sin exposed for what it is. After all, if people tried to extinguish the light of the world, Jesus, by hanging him on a cross, I, I guess we shouldn't be too surprised if some people today don't like seeing his light shine from us either. But take heart. Not everyone will reject the light. No, as we live and speak the gospel, some will start to hear that hymn of salvation in their hearts. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. What a wonderful thought, hey? You know, instead of us being overcome by darkness and facing the, the judgment of eternal death, we can light up the darkness and lead people there to find eternal life in Christ. In fact, God can use us to shine his light into even the most unlikely of places, like the heart of Professor Rosaria Butterfield. Now, Rosaria once worked as a professor of English and women's studies at a university in New York, and she didn't think too highly of Christianity Stupid, pointless, menacing, she recalls. That's what I thought of Christians and their God Jesus, who in paintings looked as powerful as a shampoo commercial model. As a practising homosexual, Rosaria was uh, working on a book exposing Christianity from a lesbian feminist perspective. But then something happened. In Rosaria's words... A pastor named Ken and his wife, Floyd, made friends with me. They invited me into their home for weekly meals. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. 
When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way that I had never heard before. His prayers were intimate, vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. We became genuine friends. When I wouldn't answer an email or didn't show up or they hadn't heard from me in a month, Ken would check in on me or Floyd would drop off a loaf of bread. I started reading the Bible. I read The Way a Glutton Devours. At a dinner gathering my partner and I were hosting, my transgendered friend Jay cornered me in the kitchen. This Bible reading is changing you, Rosaria, she warned. With tremors, I whispered, Jay, what if it is true? What if Jesus is a real and risen Lord? What if we are all in trouble? The image that came in like waves of me and everyone I loved suffering in hell vomited into my consciousness and gripped me in its teeth. Then one ordinary day, I came to Jesus open-handed. Ken was there, Floyd was there, the church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed. I would go up to my homeschool mum friends at church and say, look I had to give up the girlfriend, what did you have to give up to be here? I heard amazing things that made me realise I did not have any more to give up than anyone else. I learned there were other people in my church who struggled with sexual sin, with lust, with faithlessness, and they told me that. They took the risk of no longer looking all cleaned up to me. A lot of my former friends were hurt by my obedience to Christ. I'm grateful that when I had this stirring, I was not in a church that minimised the cost. I never heard anyone say, God has a perfect plan for your life. No, they said, Rosaria, count the cost. This is going to be brutal. This is going to be bloody. When I said, look at all these hurting people, nobody said, serves them right. Boy, are they a bunch of sinners. Instead, people in church rolled up their sleeves and said, okay, how can we help? How can we get to know your friends? Ken, Floyd and their church were prepared to lovingly shine the light of Christ into the darkness. Friend, what difference could you make if your life shone into the darkness like that? What difference would it make if our whole church shone into the darkness like that? Because you see, there's no denying it. We live in a sex-saturated society. And I dare say that, that ain't going to change anytime soon. But what's the message of this passage today? Don't be overcome by darkness, but overcome darkness with light. We're going to need God's help to do that. So let's pray. 
Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your grace and love to sinners like us. Father, we know that we, have, we, know that we are broken and that we have no hope of salvation outside of the redeeming work of Jesus at the cross. Father, thank you that he died for all of our sin, including our sexual sin. We ask, Father, that you would keep us from uh, believing the loud voices that tell us our sin doesn't matter. Father, please help us to pursue lives of, of purity and thankfulness and sacrificial love. Help us by the way we live and speak to shine your light into our dark world. Help us to testify to the greatness and goodness of our Saviour. And as we do, please use us to draw many out of the hopeless darkness into his life-giving light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.